0: Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. On this week's programme, we explore the steps enlightened companies are taking to reduce their environmental impact. First, we meet the co-founder of a carbon tracking platform that empowers retailers with data.
1: We work with businesses is essentially showing them live daily transactions of everything that they do as a business and what is the carbon impact. So, if you imagine a dashboard, if there's a Black Friday event, what impact does that have on your carbon footprint? So, if you imagine you can see live all of the data that you do as a business in carbon.
0: And we'll be in Finland at the opening of a groundbreaking factory that's setting the tone for an environmentally friendly fashion revolution. Using a patented and highly protected
2: process, this factory is, to put it simply, able to turn trees into
0: clothing. This is The Entrepreneurs, with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Many retail leaders are actively seeking to address the environmental impact of their industry. But until recently, there was a lack of reliable tools to gauge the problem and then to set out areas for potential improvements. One person bridging the information gap is Namrata Sandhu, the co-founder and CEO of Berlin headquartered Vayu, the world's first automated carbon software for retailers. It helps them analyse their footprint in real time. Namrata has almost two decades of experience in sustainability, working across the UK, US, Spain and Germany. On a recent trip to London, she stopped by Midori House and began by telling me about the start of her entrepreneurial journey in India.
1: I actually grew up in Mumbai or Bombay at the time in the 80s and the 90s, and it was a very polluted, populated city, and it was very palpable, the kind of environmental impact you could see. The beaches were dirty, the city was dirty, so I was, I think, 11 or 12 when, with a group of my friends, we were like, this isn't okay, we need to do more, and started a charity when we were 13, working on environment, helping. We set up the first recycle program in Mumbai, so... The original purpose and the journey started and is completely a function of where I've come from.
0: Well, another question I often ask people is then, and you've answered it already really, is are we always an entrepreneurial kind of character? And clearly if you're setting up uh, charitable programmes and driving recycling initiatives at the tender age of 12 or 13, the answer is clearly yes. Tell us a bit about Vayu then. Was it one where... An idea was there that it began to sort of germinate over time.
1: Yeah, I was actually, I had quit my job. I was freelancing a little bit. I realised that I'd been working in kind of climate and sustainability more widely for a long time. I realised that a lot of retailers want to do better. They want to understand where they can have impact. And there was kind of a click that was just, nobody has this data. Everybody's doing this individually themselves. And can we do it differently? Can we scale it? And can we help people have that kind of level of change on reducing and lowering their carbon impact so it was very much strange because i had done this for such a long time but it was really like click moment where it was like okay i need to solve this
0: um well and let's talk about the solution what exactly does as you said data and managing harvesting harnessing and and interpreting that data i guess is the key that unlocks the door but tell us a bit about the the nuts and bolts of what actually happens
1: Yes, yeah, so we essentially connect into the systems of retailers and brands and essentially help them track and cut their carbon emissions with a massive focus on the cutting part. So it's very much around how do we help them understand where they have optimization potential, where they can lower impact, and essentially then surface that to customers as well and enable better choices on the customer-facing side.
0: So give us a, I guess, for, for a, lay, a lay listener, tell me how onboarding a brand would work. Is it a question, Nam, that you identify a business that you know you could help? Or are these brands that reach out to you because they are interested in how you've helped maybe competitors or others? What's the the sort of start of a partnership? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so essentially brands usually reach out to us and are basically aligned, I think, in values or want to have wider impact or want to change something within the business. And they can be anywhere on the journey. Sometimes it's brands who've done it for a long time and they want to optimize even more, want data to help make decisions. Sometimes it's brands that are really early on the journey. So they're just starting off. They're just starting to think of sustainability and how do they embed that within their company. And I think from approach perspective, that works because the brands are ready to be doing something. And I think that's really important because within sustainability, you need to be ready and willing to make changes. And you need to then reach out to people like us so we can help you make some of those changes and understand with data, what are the decisions you can make.
0: Now, you're personally, I guess, a little bit ahead of the curve and Vayu now founded in 2020. So it's relatively early in its journey, but it sort of feels like an early adopter almost in some of this. It's becoming a more crowded marketplace, isn't it? There's certainly a lot more discourse and discussion around it. Does that make your job easier or more difficult?
1: Yeah, so we see a lot more people coming into the market, but I think it's a function of the market maturing itself. And I think having a lot more startups and a lot of people is actually a good thing. And we think it's positive. It means there's a maturation. It obviously means we need to differentiate a little bit more and be clearer about what our kind of USP is. But in general, I think we see it as a good thing.
0: And how do you stay competitive then is it about that depth of understanding of new entrants rivals in the marketplace maybe they're smaller maybe they're bigger borrowing the best or well, not borrowing the best but being inspired shall we say by rivals or is it actually about really thinking out the box and making sure you're finding inspiration from
1: completely
0: different places whether that's by sector or by by geography how do you what's your sort of process for doing that
1: Yeah, and for us, a big part of what we do, because we work across retail and brand within multiple industries, is there's a lot of learning because it's been very segmented. So fashion works within fashion, consumer health works within consumer health. But there's been very little of understanding across industries what's good and bad. And I think there, there's a lot of opportunity to learn. So we're starting to understand Are logistics and optimization different in different industries? Is there actually a lot of carbon-saving potential that we haven't understood yet across different verticals? So we see a lot of inspiration from learning from within the different verticals. Mm. So that's a big one for us. And then I think generally just thinking ahead, what will brands need in five years? Not what do they need today? How will the space mature? And what do we think will start happening from a regulatory perspective as well? as kind of how we think about product and what we need to be building and very much thinking further ahead of, what brands will need in the future not just today.
0: And is that then a problem ever if, because we often talk about the challenge of political short-termism, you know, politicians, national leaders, maybe dealing with a three, four, five-year cycle only. They're very. It's very hard to get them really genuinely invested in a 10, 15-year fix. But with big corporates, it can be the same. Has that? Have you run into problems with that? Or actually, is there buy-in that kind of goes beyond the personal or the personnel, and they understand that, you know we we have to do it and it doesn't matter whether they're long gone the that investment of time and resources has to happen now
1: And I think that's been a massive journey I've seen over time. So I think if you'd had this conversation at a company 10 years ago, you would have had a very, very different conversation. And I think the space has changed quite a bit. I think it is still something that's quite different from how the business thinks about standard business. So you still work in very much 12-month cycles, profitability, revenue over a 12-month period. And here you're talking about three, five, even 10-year horizons. So I think there is an absolute shift in the way that the business needs to think about sustainability versus everything else. And I think you're starting to see it happen. But I think there's still a lot of work to do to think that this doesn't work in the same time horizon as kind of all of the other regular business.
0: Well, that's interesting. When, what needs to happen then to ensure that this sustainability should be one of the, it should even be the starting point, shouldn't it, even before we start looking at P&L? Where does that drive need to come from? Obviously, there's lots of other stakeholders. We maybe need to talk about governments and this sort of thing. What's needed to ensure that it, it becomes standard?
1: Their regulation is starting to play a role, as you said. And talking to your point, I think you're starting to see 2030 regulation coming in now that businesses need to start thinking about. And I think their regulation plays a really strong role because you need to start thinking if we need to change our source materials by 2030 that really means we need to make some big changes now. And you're starting to see that change, I think, quite a bit. But I also think when you're thinking in time horizons of kind of the planet, it's just a mindset shift. And I think those conversations to have with boards, so when we go into board meetings, sometimes some of our customers have us in, it's very much helping them understand what kind of time horizons we need to be working to when it comes to sustainability, because this is a completely different kind of way of thinking from the way business is traditionally done.
0: And are those conversations more encouraging even just in the relatively short life of Vayu do you think even is a 23 conversation more inclusive more progressive a bit more engaged even than couple of years ago
1: yeah absolutely and i think 2019 2020 we saw a really really dramatic shift across kind of companies globally and then i think every year this it's not incremental it's pretty big the shift you see year on year which is super encouraging as well
0: um let's talk a bit about because i imagine listeners saying okay i think i get this it's data driven i understand the rationale what's the actual process to talk us through maybe a, a a strategy or a specific example. You don't, I, you don't have to reveal your or your trade secrets, but what actually happens? Give us the mechanics of maybe a project that you're particularly pleased with, how it actually works.
1: Yeah, so one good example, and I think generally what we work with businesses is essentially showing them live daily transactions of everything that they do as a business and what is the carbon impact. So if you imagine a dashboard with your carbon impact, if there's a Black Friday event, what impact does that have on your carbon footprint? So if you imagine you can see live All of the data that you do as a business in carbon. So exactly how you think about revenue or numbers, you see the same, but with carbon. So that's more generally how we work with businesses. One of the pieces of work that we launched more recently is with Vinted. They're a C2C marketplace, and they were really keen to understand the impact of selling clothing secondhand. A lot of people are talking about moving from linear to circular models, but it's never been evaluated at scale. What is the impact of these models? Are they actually better or worse for the planet? So a big piece of work we did with Vinted was look at half a billion transactions, all of the delivery information. We surveyed 350,000 Vinted users to understand really how much of what they sell is replacing new and therefore, what is the overall impact of Vinted as a C2C marketplace?
0: So it's super deep and granular research. And I know you have proprietary artificial intelligence tools at your disposal. Now, again, really interesting. Presumably that was built in and meshed in the system at the beginning. This is really just in the last few weeks almost become the talking point. Tell us a bit about why that was fundamental at the outset. And is it helpful or unhelpful to have the kinds of narratives we have around AI at the moment?
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of narratives recently around AI. So for us, it's very much about when we started, what technology can we use to make the tooling better, to make the platform stronger, to make it more powerful? And what are the tools that we can make to do that? And we basically realized that there was a lot in AI that we could use to essentially help do predictive Analysis. So, very much if you're a business, you have your dashboard, you have your live carbon emissions. The question came up then what? What do I do with this? And that's where AI is super powerful because we can predict based on the learning how you can then understand where there's carbon saving potential, how you can make recommendations, where you can lower your impact. So, the prediction power of AI is super strong. And there it has a real role to play in what we're building. And this comes Obviously, it's different with OpenAI and ChatGPT. And I think there's models there we can use as well. And we're starting to use, but I think fundamentally the ability to predict and recommend what businesses should do when it comes to carbon saving potential is kind of where we focused in.
0: It's funny. I think these are the kinds of examples that need greater focus and more of a loud hailer, don't they? Because everyone's saying, oh, well, you know, I'm a photographer and it's going to steal my job because it can generate images. Or I'm a journalist like we are here at Monocle and it's going to take my job because it will be able to write more elegantly than me within months. These are the examples we need to look at. This is making a consequential difference to the future of the planet. And it's fundamental. There's no way you couldn't use AI, presumably, to process data on this scale?
1: Yeah, exactly. Both machine learning and AI are integral to all of the transactions that we process, the way that we predict, the way that we think about how you can understand the data better. It's core to the models that we've built.
0: What about this sort of multi-track pace of change given geography? If we look at developing markets to the developed world, but countries that are growing rapidly or the growth is tailed and it, they need energy or they need different things at different parts of the supply chain that maybe don't accord with what we'd call the what the sort of anglosphere take on, on, on this theme. How difficult is that to navigate? And your, your story is particularly interesting, of course. You came up, as you said, in Mumbai where even as recently, as you say, the 80s at night, I was there probably... Lost, I don't know, fifteen years ago, and it was astonishing how much had changed, but so much still to do. Can it work when the demands are so different in all these different places, and we can't exclude emerging markets from trying to make the changes to their GDP and quality of life for their citizens that that we enjoyed in the West? How do we reconcile those different challenges?
1: And I think there technology, innovation will start to play a really big role. So when it comes to material innovation, when it comes to kind of new ways of delivering product, I think all of that will start to play a big role because we do need to bring carbon down and not having people consume at all isn't going to be the solution. I think the way they consume, the models that they use need to change. And I think that's what we're starting to see. And what's super interesting for us is also which markets start to get interested from a consumer perspective in climate and carbon. We're starting to see a lot of appetite actually in Asian market and emerging markets, which is quite surprising, more than some of the more developed markets. So I think there's also a consumer trend that you'll start to see across all of these markets that will mean even where the supply chains are, you'll start to see much bigger changes because the consumers are demanding it globally and not limited to developing markets as well.
0: So presumably we might be at a point where it's almost entirely consumer-led and they may say to businesses do you work with value? I guess that's the dream, right? It's It becomes maybe a gold standard and it can be entirely consumer driven.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think a large amount of it is being led by consumers. They're asking the questions, they're asking brands, they're pushing brands. So I think it's a combination of regulation and consumer that's driving a lot of the changes. But in emerging markets, for example, it isn't regulation. It is very much consumer led. So as you said, we're starting to see that shift or change happen a lot more.
0: Just finally, perhaps, how do you operate? Because presumably like any entrepreneur running a a successful business you have to be across everything day to day hour to hour almost minute to minute but you have to keep this more strategic eye on a longer time horizon how do you calibrate your sort of view forwards uh now you know is it is it about making sure you're making the day-to-day decisions with an eye on that longer term strategy how do how do you process that
1: i think it's interesting because we're in the business of kind of thinking ahead and innovation and being really focused on that. And that's something that we try to keep top of mind, kind of in how we think about product features, everything that we build. So I think for us, it just is top of mind a lot. You sometimes get distracted and get into the details. And I think for us, at least, it's super important because it's a space that's evolving extremely quickly as well. So if you lose sight of that, I think it has a pretty big impact to what you build. And for us, that has to be how we think about product and features. And like you said, from one year to the other, kind of how businesses think about it is different. Also, regulation has come in super quickly into the space. So we're also keeping a very close eye on kind of how that evolves and where we see that coming 24, 25, 26 as well.
0: So in terms of then goals that you set and when you're talking with your colleagues, how explicit do you have to be about those you obviously want to grow you want to help more businesses you want to really move the needle on this issue because of the urgency of the challenge but how do you measure up what are the sort of metrics that you that you use and because it's a business that's about doing good fundamentally do you have to sort of almost park the traditional PL and looking at the numbers and look at something that's a bit more profound almost
1: yeah so we calibrate the whole business to reduction So we're successful if we help businesses reduce and optimize their own footprint. So we calibrate as kind of our core top line KPI as reduction. We have a target by 2030 of helping businesses reduce a gigaton of carbon, and that's very much so our kind of goals align with that. And if we're doing that, if we're working with big businesses, if they are reducing, then we're meeting our targets. And that's kind of how we've set up the business and we want to think about it. And that was super key and important to how we wanted to set it up, because You don't want to lose sight of the purpose. You don't want to lose sight of that's what you're here to do. And everything should be aligned with that purpose and everything that you build should lead to that.
0: That was Namrata Sandhu, the co-founder and CEO of Vayu. And you can learn more, head to vayu.tech. That's V-A-A-Y-U.tech. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. Driven by consumer demand for more sustainable clothing, the global textile industry is looking for ways to lessen its environmental impact. Finnish company Woodspin brings together Brazil's Susano, the world's largest hardwood pulp producer, and Finnish materials technology pioneer Spinova. Woodspin's developed a groundbreaking method of turning wood pulp byproduct from forestry into a cotton like fibre without the use of water or chemicals, and that material is called Spinova. We dispatched our Helsinki correspondent Petri Bertsov to the opening of the new Spinova factory in the Finnish city of Jyväskylä. This
2: nondescript industrial area, a short drive south from the centre of Juvascula in central Finland, makes for an unlikely setting for the next fashion revolution the surrounding verdant birch tree forests and the sleek wooden facade of the woodspin factory are subtle hints of what awaits on the inside. It is quite possibly the biggest transformation of the fashion industry since the spinning machine. Using a patented and highly protected process, this factory, which is a joint venture between the Finnish Spinnova and the Brazilian pulp producer Suzano, is, to put it simply, able to turn trees into clothing. It's a little bit more technical than this, but you get the idea. Let's go inside and take a look. The opening celebrations are in full swing, champagne flows, and a crowd of fashion journalists, investors and clothing designers are getting an introduction into what this factory can do but let's move inside the actual factory and see how it all works. Okay, so we're standing uh, in a large industrial hall that I guess the best way to describe it would be is it looks like a scaled up chemistry set. It really just looks like a, a giant chemistry set built into, into this uh, large industrial and this is really the, where all the different stages of the, of the production of the fiber take place when the cellulose pulp is turned into a textile fiber.
3: To the next uh, stop where you will actually see how this pulp is converted to microfibre related cellulose and, and how that looks.
4: My name is Christian Orgelmeister. I'm the chairman of Woodspin and also the executive director at Suzano, leading our new bio-business development and corporate strategy. At the plant here, we we actually, essentially we receive the pulp that is produced in Brazil. So in Brazil, we have the planted trees that we harvest. We transform them into pulp. We dry them and ship them here overseas. We receive them here. And then we transform this pulp into what we call MFC, Microfabulous Cellulose, which is essentially uh, grinding and, and refining those, this initial pulp into smaller fibers. And this uh, is what Susano provides into Woodspin. And Woodspin, which is a JV between Susano and Spinova. we take this MFC and we further uh, grind it to very small fibers and then we reconstruct the fiber and we blow it through nozzles, uh, through uh, with uh, Spinova technology. And these nozzles, they blow out very, you fil- uh, know, filaments and f- uh, natural filaments that then become har- uh, garments uh, later on. So this is the process in a nutshell of what we do.
5: But you can see the robot uh, making a change through the screen. It's gonna come briefly, like very quickly, but it's gonna give you
4: an idea about how.
2: To get a better idea of the environmental impact of the textile industry and how the sustainable fibre produced in this factory can help, I caught up with Shariar Mahmoud, Spinova's Head of Sustainability.
3: I think the major challenge is the waste. We are producing a lot, lot of waste. If we see in the textile processing, we have a lot of chemistry involved. The textile industry one of the top polluter. Water pollution is happening through the textile processing. Uh, considering all those things, I think nova has the potential, let's say uh, that uh, we, if we can, let's say I have been giving the example of dope dyeing. If it is already a colored fiber, you don't need to dye later. It means that you have a significant savings in the water consumption at the same time, wastewater that you don't need to produce the wastewater as such. So considering all this pollution we are creating, we really need solution that actually reduces the environmental impact, especially in the process level. That's, that's I think, the uh, great great advantage. And from the product level also, we really need that which has less footprint during the production stage. At the same time, we need also to consider the life cycle, the whole, whole, whole life cycle, end of the life. Meaning that if it is discarded, Where it is going so spinnova fiber or product made out of spinnova is biodegradable of course we don't want to end it up to the landfill we want it to use it as a raw material we often say spinnova is the best raw material for spinnova process in the future we will be doing so that the spinnova we will be getting and recycling it again so spinnova fiber itself is fully recyclable
2: Next, it was time to leave the factory floor and head upstairs to see what clothes made of trees look and
1: feel like.
5: I'm Ben Sobi, I'm the interim CEO at Spinova.
2: And we have now been on the factory floor and we're now making our way upstairs to look at some products that have been made using the Spinova fiber, So, so let's go upstairs. Right. Okay, Ben. So, what are we looking at here? I see we have uh, we have at least an Adidas uh, hoodie.
5: Yeah, that's right. We've got an Adidas uh, Terex hoodie that was released uh, last year to the market, and it's a, a blend of organic cotton and spunover fiber. And then we've got a Marimekko jacket here. That's uh, uh, this one's a weave. Uh, the, the Adidas hoodie is a knit um, product and uh, the Marimeka was also released uh, last year, and it was the first time that we uh, had a pattern uh, dye put onto the the woven fabric, so quite a nice touch to that. And then one of the earliest, or actually one of the latest collaborations here with Halti, which is a um, parka jacket and uh, is also having a waterproof finish, so exciting collaboration with them.
2: And the the feel of these products, I mean, um, for example, just trying how this Adidas uh, hoodie feels. It feels really soft and, and, and just like cotton essentially. So is this, is this sort of the, the properties that the Spinova fiber has, that it's very much like cotton?
5: That's right, it, it, it really feels like a natural fiber and that's one of the things that differentiates it. So it's the mechanical process used to make it that makes that possible and it really feels natural but actually also has uh, a lot of very um, good thermal properties. So it, it's also actually quite a warm, warm hoodie, which is nice.
2: SpinNova's signature fiber in itself is not new and has been around for some years, even earning Monocle's own design award some years ago. But up until now, the company has produced only small quantities of it in their small pilot factory in Uvascula. Woodspin is the first time that this technology is used in a commercial factory with plans to scale the production up to a million tons per year. Even that is just a small fraction of what the global textile industry with the estimated value of approximately a trillion euros needs in order to clean up its act. But the fact that Spin Nova has already struck deals with the likes of Adidas, H&M, Bestseller and Marimekko speaks to the potential that the fashion industry sees in this new sustainable fibre. For Monocle in Jyvaskyla,
0: Finland, I'm Petri Burtsov. Monocle's Helsinki correspondent there. Thanks, Petri. To learn more, make sure you head over to woodspin.com. And that's all for this episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out in the meantime for Eureka coming your way every Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard. You can listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com. That's where you can also subscribe to Monocle magazine and read more about better businesses every month. You can follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform too. To contact the team, write to Laura. Her email address is lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye, and thanks for listening to
1: The Entrepreneurs.